to you from the AT&T Podcast Studio. This is Long Story Short. I'm Ted Struley, the Executive Director at Oklahoma Watch. We're a statewide nonprofit news organization that specializes in investigative reporting. You're listening to our weekly podcast, which lets you hear directly from our journalists as they provide deeper insight into their recently published stories. Reporter Paul Monies has an update on the state's resumption of its Medicaid enrollment renewals after the end of a federal public health emergency for COVID-19. Paul, how did the federal health emergency affect Sooner Care, the state's Medicaid program? Yeah, so back in the early days of the pandemic, uh, the federal government and states decided to expand um, kind of the, the safety net for healthcare. Uh, and in that case, in Oklahoma, it's Sooner Care, uh, which helps lower income people with uh, their healthcare needs. And so during that time, as part of that, the, the federal government gave more money to states to keep people enrolled. Normally, there's a, a kind of typical uh, renewal process for Sooner Care people, uh, and it's pretty, you know pretty, fairly regular basis. So you have to check their incomes um, and all that kind of stuff if there's children living at home under five, lots of kind of boxes to check. During the pandemic, uh, nobody was disenrolled. So the roles of the, the Sooner Care program actually grew to about 1.3 million people in the state. And that's, uh, um, you know, more than uh, a third of the state that are covered by, by Sooner Care. And the public health emergencies were renewed several times um, during the Trump administration and into the Biden administration. They finally ended this year uh, in March. And so as part of that, states began their uh, renewal process for folks on Sooner Care. And so why are some people now losing that Sooner Care coverage? Yeah, because typically during a normal time, they would be getting the normal renewal process. Um, Now they may have changed circumstances, a different job, maybe a job that actually covers their health care needs if they're lucky, Uh, different family situations. uh, They may have aged out uh, into the Medicare program for older uh, Americans. And so there's several different reasons, but that's partly why they're doing it now. And when did the state start that process? So Oklahoma was uh, among the first states to start that disenrollment process in April. Uh, and they they went through each month and went through the regular renewal process and then captured the folks who had stayed on it during the pandemic uh, public health emergency. And so um, they have been doing that for several months now. And about halfway through, there's about 170,000 people that so far have been dropped from the Medicaid rolls. How did the state reach people who might be affected to let them know? Yeah, so this took a, a lot of planning by the state's Medicaid agency, the Healthcare Authority. Um, they had uh, been planning for this for more than a year, and actually they started sending out letters to to people enrolled in Medicaid and Sooner Care uh, back in February, uh, basically letting them know, hey, we're going to come to you, ask you for more information in the next few months. Uh, they sent out a series of four letters, including some of their color-coded. There was a purple letter that came out that was supposed to be, you know, stand away from regular junk mail in your mail. Uh, of course, a lot of this population um, moves around a lot. They don't have regular uh, access to uh, Internet. So there was issues, renewal process online. And in fact, that led to a kind of temporary pause in the summer. Uh, the federal government was really quite concerned with the, the rate of people being kicked off Medicaid under what's called a procedural denial. And that's basically they didn't fill out the proper paperwork. They didn't return paperwork. They didn't go through the online enrollment process to its completion. Now, uh, the state put that process uh, on hold during the summer, as you suggested. Were the uh, the federal government's concerns over the procedural problems, was that the only reason for pausing that? That was definitely ones the feds looked at. They were also looking at other states who had um, kind of information already on file for some of the people that got 
disenrolled in other states and said, hey, you're not checking the right paperwork. Uh, for example, people that qualified for, for food stamps uh, or temporary uh, programs like that. Um, and so they said basically double check, make sure everyone that you capture is enrolled, uh, does qualify, because we don't want people to be able to qualify and not be in the program. All right. Well, uh, what are those uh, people who are affected by this, uh, who no longer have the student care benefit? What do they do for, for health care? Yes. I mean, generally, this is a very low income population anyway. Um, the lucky ones, the few that, that have employer provided health care, that's probably the best case scenario for them. Uh, then it goes down the line. Um, folks who are kind of close to that, that um, eligibility income limit. They can uh, go to the federal marketplace for health insurance and get programs on there with deductibles uh, and get uh, federal subsidies for those plans. And then some of them may actually, like I said earlier, age out into the Medicare program for older Americans. Some may get benefits from their tribal uh, nations, and then some may get benefits from the Veterans Administrations. For other folks, um, it includes kind of maybe just going to federally qualified healthcare centers that offer kind of low care, low cost care to folks that qualify. And then down the line to free clinics uh, where they can get free health care. So it's really kind of a mix max of of options for folks, but they're all fairly low income people in the first place. Now, the state uh, is transitioning to a managed care system. Uh, How will sooner care enrollment be affected by that? That's right. Yeah, I asked the healthcare authority, hey, you know, you're, you're going to a different payment system for your providers. Uh, you know, at the, the membership level, that's not supposed to be much different for them. It's mostly a payment model for, for the state uh, to move to to save money. But they said that the healthcare authority, even after it picks the, the private insurance companies that would administer the managed care program, it will still be involved in enrolling and keeping those renewals going. So the, the, the state government will still be enrolled in that involved in that part of it, uh, even under managed care, which is coming next year. All right. Well, thanks, Paul. You can read uh, all of Paul's coverage about the changes to Sooner Care in Oklahoma, as well as his other coverage related to state government. You'll find it on our website, oklahomawatch.org. Reporter Whitney Bryan covers vulnerable populations. She's here today to talk about a federal lawsuit that was filed this week against Oklahoma's only remaining private prison. Whitney, who filed that lawsuit and why? Well, Linda Gray filed the lawsuit against the GEO Group, which is that for-profit company that operates the prison in Lawton. That's where Linda's 31-year-old son, Justin, was serving time for robbery and possessing a firearm uh, when Justin suffered in a cell for days after prison staff ignored a a life-threatening injury that led to his death. So what happened to Justin? Well, Justin had severe mental illness, and he was known uh, throughout the prison to swallow things that he shouldn't in an effort to self-harm as part of his illness. According to a report that I got from the Department of Corrections, a nurse saw Justin swallow a plastic spork. They took him to a medical where x-rays showed that the spork had punctured his intestine. He had a hole in it. And this is a, a really serious condition that requires emergency medical care. But the prison doctor, Dr. Michael Boger, he looked at Justin through a small window in an exam room and then determined that Justin was just not in enough pain for the x-ray to be accurate. 
and uh, determined he probably just had constipation and gave him some Tums and put him in a medical cell under suicide watch. That's where Justin's condition just worsened over the next several hours, and he died in that cell. Even though he was under suicide watch, which is supposed to be constant observation, it was about 90 minutes after he died before anyone noticed. You mentioned a Department of Corrections investigation into Justin's death. Is that standard procedure or was that uh, specific to this case? Uh, The Department of Corrections investigates every prison death, so that's standard procedure. But the attorneys who are suing the prison, they told me they had never seen a report quite this scathing. What did the investigator find? Well, the investigator reviewed uh, reviewed video footage that showed guards and medical staff ignoring Justin, even though he was in what what the investigator described as obvious pain. You know, he was doubled over, holding his stomach. He was falling to the cement floor several times in the cell. And the investigator interviewed several prison staff, including Dr. Boger, and he asked the doctor, you know, whether he knew about Justin's life-threatening condition. And the doctor admitted that he he did, in fact, see the x-ray and the problem on the x-ray and that he didn't examine or even speak to Justin before dismissing his pain. The investigator actually wrote in a conclusion of the report um, that there were potential manslaughter charges in this case and, and sent that to the Comanche County DA, but there have not been any charges filed yet. So who all is implicated in this lawsuit? Well, the lawsuit names Dr. Boger and uh, prison nurse Christine Kusner, security supervisor at the jail, uh, excuse me, at the prison, Kalisa Blanchard, and the guard who was supposed to be watching Justin, his name is Kenneth Smith. All of those folks work for Geo Group, which runs the private prison. And then the company that provided the x-ray diagnostics and one of their employees is also named in the lawsuit. So uh, two companies, Geo Group and the radiology company, plus uh, several individuals uh, all named as defendants. Right? That's correct, yes. Uh, the Department of Corrections started to uh, recapture Oklahoma's private prisons back in 2020 after criminal justice reforms drove the inmate population down. Uh, now, Geo Group operates the last privately run prison in Oklahoma, right? That's right. So Lawton is is the last remaining private prison here in the state. And the Department of Corrections is actually planning to take that prison over next year, they've said. So that will place all Oklahoma inmates back under state control when that happens. All right. Well, thanks, Whitney. You can read Whitney's story about uh, the death uh, down in Lawton at the Correctional Center there, as well as all her other work on vulnerable populations. You'll find it on our website, oklahomawatch.org. Reporter Paul Money's recently wrote about a $4 million contract given to a California company to set up and administer the state's new private school tax credit program. Paul, Can you give us a quick recap of those new tax credits? 
Yeah. So if you remember back to the spring during the legislative session, this was a huge kind of point of contention, contention between uh, Republican factions in the House and the Senate. They were all aligned that they wanted something like this to, to be approved. They just differed on how to get there. They finally uh, figured out a compromise. And in the end, we've got private school tax credits that are available uh, anywhere between $5,000 and $7,500 per child per school year uh, to help uh, for private school tuition and other fees. Now, how did you come to find out about this contract with the California company? Yeah, so this law has, has just gone into effect this month. And as part of that, uh, there were some emergency rules that were going through the Oklahoma Tax Commission. We kept an eye on that. There were some public comments that we're still tracking on that side. But uh, I was at a, actually one of the meetings where they approved the emergency rules to administer this program. And they mentioned during the meeting uh, this company called Merit, which I hadn't heard of before. So I started asking more questions about that and found out that they had actually signed a contract uh, with this California company called Merit International to administer and set up this tax credit program. Oh, did the amount of that contract surprise you? It did, yeah. The state is spending uh, almost $4 million this next year um, to administer and set up this program. That's four times as much what they told lawmakers back in the spring. Uh, they did a whole fiscal analysis of the bill. The tax commission pointed out some issues that it had on the policy side that it would have problems implementing. Um, and it also said that, well, we can do this in-house uh, for um, for about a million dollars the first year and about $700,000 the second year. Why did the tax commission use a contractor and not uh, do it as part of their normal functions? You just said they could do it in-house for about a fourth the price. Yeah, that's what they told lawmakers in the spring, obviously. And um, now as they've gotten more into it, uh, they realized there were some holes there in the legislation that they weren't kind of uh, filled out by statute, and they couldn't fill with, with the rules either. And so there's some some issues with the legislation that would have to be tweaked in the next session, and, and kind of the lawmakers have kind of agreed that they'll have to do that as well. But in the meantime, they're kind of under a time construct of, of getting this done and ready uh, to actually have uh, applications accepted in December this year. And so they said, well, look, we can't do this in-house with the time that we're under. Uh, we have this contractor who has come out and said that they've got some expertise in this field, uh, the agency itself said that um, they're picking up the slack internally, the extra $3 million from their own budget, and then the legislature gave them a million dollars in extra appropriations to actually set it up. So um, there's still negotiations ongoing about who's going to actually be on the hook for the extra $3 million. Is it the regular appropriations process or is it coming out of the tax commission's regular budget? Oh, uh, were there other companies uh, bidding on that contract? Uh, this was not actually bid out. They said they went through the the, the, the process that you can basically, uh, it's kind of a streamlined process the state uses where you can pick vendors from a, a list. And so the tax commission said it went to the Office of Management Enterprise Services, asked for a particular type of uh, IT contract under this list, and this Merit International was on that list. We still don't know exactly when Merit got on that list, but um, the tax commission picked them from that list. Uh, Merit issued kind of what is called a statement of work, saying how they would do it how much it would cost, and tax commission agreed to that at one of their meetings. Now, the state's existing Lindsay Nicole Henry Scholarship as for students with disabilities, that has a different vendor to administer that, right? That's right. Yeah, that, that's been around uh, about 10 or 12 years now, um, and that's, that's a scholarship program, basically allows vouchers to go to private schools for children with disabilities or other special needs. Uh, there's there's about 1,300 uh, students that are enrolled in that, that program this last academic year. 
that is actually administered through the State Department of Education. So it's a little bit different in terms of it's not going through the tax commission. It's a straight up voucher, voucher that goes to uh, the, the schools themselves directly. And um, another vendor uh, was picked by the State Department of Education to do that, and that's called PCG Scholar. All right. So what's been the reaction from lawmakers about the, the merit contract? Yeah, I mean, there was some surprise about just the amount of it um, and that it went to a private contractor. Uh, Democrats, which had who had concerns during the, the passage of the bill and, and none of them voted for any of this uh, in the spring, said that, you know, it kind of made their predictions come true. They said that there was problems with tracking this, problems with setting it up. Uh, they wondered if uh, the estimates the tax commission gave were high enough um, back in the spring. And they said that they were really kind of surprised that a private contractor was given this kind of money um, to administer this program, given that the state has not had a great track record with other kind of private vendors administering money uh, in the, the educational setting, uh, most likely some of the gear funding that went through uh, Class Wallet uh, back during the first parts of COVID. All right. Well, thanks, Paul. Uh, Paul Moneys covers state government for Oklahoma Watch. You can read all his work on our website, oklahomawatch.org. You've been listening to Long Story Short, a weekly podcast that helps you get deeper into the investigative stories reported by Oklahoma Watch, which you can find on the web at oklahomawatch.org. This episode was recorded at the AT&T Podcast Studio. For Oklahoma Watch, I'm Ted Struley. Thanks for listening. Well, friends, it's that time of year. November and December is our big fundraising push at Oklahoma Watch. We are a 501c3 nonprofit independent news organization that brings you investigative and explanatory reports from all over Oklahoma. And in November and December, we have an opportunity to triple any donations that come our way. The Miami Foundation matches dollar for dollar, and this year we're Delighted to say the Arnall Foundation here in Oklahoma is doing the same thing. So any donations at all, every dollar we get in turns into $3, which helps ensure our success in 2024 so we can keep bringing you all that in great investigative work. If you'd like to donate and support the cause, if you enjoy the podcast, our website, our newsletters, our radio pieces – please visit our website, oklahomawatch.org. Click on the Support Us tab on the menu and know that every dollar you are able to give is going to be tripled. That's also true if you make a year-long pledge. If you pledge $10 a month, that counts as $120 toward the matching gifts. So your $10 a month turns into $360. Multiply that out any way that makes sense to you. We rely on the support of our readers and listeners and greatly appreciate your help. Thanks for listening. Newsmatch runs through December 31st. We greatly appreciate every bit of support.